I encourage you to read the talks once again and to ponder the messages contained therein. I found in my own life that I gain even more from these inspired sermons when I study them in greater depth. The basic pattern is to identify the fundamental doctrine or principle that's being taught, find any invitations associated with and related to that doctrine or principle, and then also recognizing the promised blessings if we act in accordance with that invitation. Welcome to Words of the Prophets, a podcast where we discuss the latest talks from the Church of Je- from the General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My name is Todd. Today I have with me my daughter, Aaliyah. How are you today, Aaliyah? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing great. You weren't even sitting next to me and I made a mistake in the intro. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> we'll, we'll all claim credit, credit for that one. <laughs> awesome. Anything new and wonderful to report in your life? Just keep it on going. <laughs> Keeping on, keeping on. Good. Well, we're glad that you are here today to talk General Conference with us. Next, we have Rivka and Burke. How are you today, Burke? I am doing great. I surely do enjoy my continual three-day weekends now. And uh, yeah, had a very lazy Saturday, for which I am grateful. Awesome. And in case there's anybody who uh, missed context or skipped a few episodes. Tell us why you have a three-day weekend and generally. I don't work Mondays anymore. <laughs> I finally decided I didn't want to. And so I stopped scheduling work on Mondays and my Sundays are so blissful now. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah. Tell us why Sunday is affected by Monday. Well, so often in the last 12 and a half years, I was either going to bed very early on Sunday because I was getting up at one or two in the morning to drive to where I was working on Monday or else I was driving to where I was working on Monday on Sunday afternoon. So I never really had, not never, I often did not have a full Sunday off. And even if I did have the full day off, I'm still was getting up almost always by about 3.30 Monday morning. So I would stop yeah. at fairly early. So yeah, I got tired of doing that. And um, so I decided to not do it anymore in my effort to cut back to full time. So. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so for those who don't know you, I, I want to just add that you were able to make this decision through years and years of wise financial choices, right? It, uh, it wasn't like you just flipped a light switch one day. This yeah, is years no. of preparation. Yeah, this is years of um, having a pretty good savings rate and living on less than we make. Basically, following all the financial teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints has brought me. Amen. To so drop drop the mic. You're done right there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, your uh, lovely bride is with us today as well. How are you, Rivka? I'm doing great. Thanks. Is is having Burke home on Mondays a good thing? Or is this secretly one of these things where you're like, oh man, he's ruined my whole system that I had in place. Mm-mm. I think it's, um, I think it's wonderful. Yeah. We're enjoying the extra time. The kids are enjoying the extra time. Um, yeah. So it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. And also, I get, I get to take Kate that. to early morning seminary as well. Ooh, that's I true. Burke doesn't have to get up for it. Then, so. <laughs> yep. And I knew that would be your answer. I wouldn't have asked the question that way, obviously. So. <laughs> you could have. I'd have been like, it's the worst. Make it go away. <laughs> I did it. Just kidding. <laughs> um, for a number of years, my work situation was such that sometimes I had forced vacation. Now that sounds like a trial that anyone would sign up for. But 
Um, what that means is my weeks of vacation were doled out in weeks, whether I wanted them there or not. And if I Ooh. wanted them in specific, mm-hmm. I, I had to trade around, but I usually ended up with at least one or two weeks where I, I couldn't trade or there wasn't anything we had going. So I was just home mm-hmm. and Deanna and I loved those weeks. Just, I was just home. Mm-hmm. It was so, so fun. So I, I hope you guys are mm-hmm. living or enjoying the benefits of Provident living. Yeah. So yeah. Awesome. Well, let us get to our talk today. It's called The Savior's Healing Power Upon the Isles of the Sea by Elder J. Kimo Esplin of the 70. And I got to say, I'm hoping that you guys have lots of great insights because to me, it read like one long story. It is Um, one long story. (laughs) (laughs) Good. It was a great story, but it's quite a bit different than our usual um, structure. So, um, I'm not even sure if fundamental doctrine is like the right way to approach it, but I think we'll stick with that and see where it takes us. So, Aaliyah, what was your fundamental doctrine from this long story that he told? Mine comes from the very end, and it's more of an expression of gratitude, um, but it's kind of the general feeling that I came away from the talk with. So he says, I am grateful to witness the ongoing fulfillment of the Lord's promise that the time shall come when the knowledge of a Savior shall spread throughout every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, including to those upon the isles of the sea. Awesome. So I guess the doctrine there would be that um, our God is a God of keeping promises and that he's actively fulfilling them in our day and age. Okay. How is he doing that, specifically this promise? Um, missionary work is huge. Uh, we're coming up with better ways to teach languages so that they can teach the gospel in those tongues. Temples are being built in all those different places, including the Isles of the Sea. More members are are being are joining the church in those places as well. So lots of ways. Awesome. I love that as a, an, a recent MTC teacher, you were like, well, the techniques we use to teach languages are really improving. <laughs> they are. <laughs> awesome. Um, we're in first and second Nephi and come follow me at the time of recording this. And one thing I've been really struck by is um, how Isles of the Sea doesn't, sometimes it means a literal isle, like he talks about Hawaii and Japan. Um, but often... Lehi and Nephi and their families were on gigantic continents, but they were still, quote, on the Isles of the Sea, because sometimes that just means like away from the main body of the saints. Um, And so you could be in um, Yuma, Arizona or somewhere else that is, you know, (laughs) feels sort of remote. That was in Leah's mission. That's why I picked it. Um, That feels sort of remote and you might feel like you're on an Isle of the Sea when really you're you're on surrounded by dry land, but you are spiritually on an isle of the sea. So that was a terrible long explanation, but hopefully you got what I was talking about. Um, <laughs> all right, let's go on to Burke. Burke, so what was your fundamental doctrine here? So I was really hoping we would all pick the same fundamental doctrine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I don't disagree with Ali at all. That is definitely a fundamental doctrine here. But here's what I marked. Temple covenants are gifts from our Heavenly Father to the faithful followers of His Son, Jesus Christ. Through the temple, our Heavenly Father binds individuals and families to the Savior and to each other. I love it. But like this was the main goal of the story. This is what they were trying to accomplish was getting to a temple. That was um, 
I don't know. And I agree that it's, it's a wonderful gift and I'm impressed at what all these saints went through to get there and feel like maybe the traffic between me and the temple is not as big a deal as I sometimes make it out to be. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. As someone who drives almost three hours or four hours to work some days, you know, maybe that traffic to the temple isn't, isn't terrible comparatively. Although I got to tell you, when you have to spend the whole entire day to go to the temple, it does feel like a lot. I mean, and of course this story is proving that it's not, but it really does. It feels like a lot. Um, and we've been loving having a temple so close to where we live now. But, but Burke, how has the temple bound you and your family to the Savior and to each other? Uh, I'd have to say covenants. I mean, the obvious answer is the sealing covenant that binds us all together eternally. But I think even more than that, the life that I live in order to stay worthy to attend the temple has to have made a huge difference both for me and for my wife and kids. Um, And then also just so many of the directional inspirations I've received over the year, big changes in my life and comfort I've needed when things were difficult have come while I'm at the temple. Um, And there are probably a lot of things that also happen in my life as a blessing of attending the temple and being temple worthy that I don't even know because they don't, you know, they don't come highlighted that way. But right. I think it has influenced every aspect of my life. Okay. I love it. That's a, that is a great example. That reminds me of Elder Renlund's talk a few talks ago where he talked about it's not in just physically taking the sacrament or ingesting the sacrament that really um, transforms us. It's in, a, in putting forth that effort to live the covenant and apply the atonement in our lives that the sacrament has power. So same thing as we live our temple covenants that has a lot of power in our lives. So, yeah. And I actually, so one concrete example is in the, and the question has changed over the years, but the honesty question in the temple recommend interview, I can think of so many times in my life when I was faced with a business situation or decision where the easy thing to do would have, would have been, you know, to fudge, to hedge, to lie a little bit, but where that question came up in my mind when I was faced with the decision and thought, ah, I have to do it this way. Yeah. So even something so simple as that. Okay. I like it. Thanks. Aaliyah, did you have something to add to that? Nope. Okay. Well, then we'll move on to Rivka. So Rivka, what was your fundamental doctrine? So I have, oh man, I'm, I'm having a hard time picking one this week. I had several pretty profound, um, I don't know, moments with the spirit where I was just kind of about different ideas that came from this talk. And it was pretty unexpected um, because I don't know. I don't remember this talk being given in conference. Like it was not one that struck me particularly. Um, So I don't know. Maybe I think for me, one of the underlying lessons I got from what he taught comes from I don't even know if there's really a quote, but it comes from the story that he shares about um, the Japanese members in, when was it? I don't know, after World War II, who gathered together and like chartered a flight and all went to Hawaii to receive their temple blessings. And he says later that same year, 
161 adults and children embarked from Tokyo to make their way to the Hawaii temple. One Japanese brother reflected on the journey. As I looked out of the airplane and saw Pearl Harbor and remembered what our country had done to these people on December 7th, 1941, I feared in my heart. Will they accept us? But to my surprise, they showed greater love and kindness than I'd ever seen in my life. Upon the Japanese saints' arrival, the Hawaiian members welcomed them with countless strands of flower lays while exchanging hugs and kisses on the cheeks, a custom foreign to Japanese culture. After spending 10 transformative days in Hawaii, the Japanese saints bid the farewells, bid their farewells to the melody of Alohai sung by the Hawaiian saints. So maybe with the quote that Bert gave right at the very end, it says that through the temple, our Heavenly Father binds individuals and families to the Savior and to each other. And I was thinking about what an incredible image and example this is of two groups of people who have very different earthly cultures that they come from, able to come together and almost set those earthly cultures aside and become unified and rejoice together in the culture of the gospel. And they were able to do that because they were seeking temple covenants and and all the same covenants with the same God and being unified in that. And I just think it's such a beautiful image of that when we talk about unity and we've heard lots of um, um, talks or invitations about embracing the culture of the gospel or I mean we just had that talk about how to do that in your home more anyway I loved I loved that part of this story and how it illustrates the um, the incredible things that embracing the gospel culture can help us overcome to become united awesome I love it um, and that I, it didn't occur to me that he was giving you know the that the direct connection there between the the binding our hearts together um it wasn't just theoretical it was it was a practical and concrete and something that actually happened so and reminded me of the Finns and the russians that elder renlin talked about right mm -hmm. yes yeah yeah so the temple works miracles in our hearts i love it well Aaliyah. <laughs> We're going to talk about other parts of this talk that we want to highlight and other pieces of the story. Do you feel like you can give us a, maybe a 10,000 foot overview so we have some context when we're talking about the story? Of just I can overarching. assure attempt. Okay, perfect. Awesome. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, there, the story centers around a woman from Okinawa who, during the war, essentially had to kind of hide herself and her family and take care of them and barely survive, barely scrape by. She has um, a really significant spiritual experience when she considers um, taking her and her family's life and then decides to keep going after this experience. And then after the war was over, um, that's when, like Rivka was talking about, the a lot of the Japanese members chartered a flight uh, to go to the temple. They did that a couple times and she was able to go, um, on one of those trips and yeah. Okay. I'm going to add that her spiritual experience came before she was a member of the church. Mm -hmm. And then after that, she converted and then her husband died and then the temple stuff happened. Um, yes. so 
she went through years and years of hardship. Um, so, okay. So that's sort of a, an overview. So we don't get lost inside the story, you know, as we zoom down to a single instance. So what else did you want to discuss from this talk? Um, one of the things that stuck out to me other than just the amazingness that this woman is to have kept going <laughs> through what she dealt with. Um, but when all of the saints ended up making it to the temple, it talks about the endowment session and its translation. <laughs> and uh, he says, when the endowed Japanese members living in Hawaii first heard the translation, they wept. One member recorded, we've been to the temple many, many times. We've heard the ceremonies in English, but we have never felt the spirit of temple work as we feel it now, hearing it in our own native tongue. And that is definitely something that I love about Heavenly Father is that his gospel applies to everyone and he helps us learn it in our language in a literal way and then in a more layered way. And and it's just amazing to know that there's so many people putting forth so much effort to learn and translate between different languages. There's a lot that goes into those kinds of things, but it's it's so impactful for those who are on the receiving end. And it reminds me of Elder Bednar's talk about um, being in the path of their duty. And he mentions this specifically about people being translators for other languages within the gospel. Awesome. I love bringing that original talk by Elder Bednar back into this. What a, what a great connection. Mm -hmm. um, Burke, you, so this is Japanese members going to Hawaii um, <clears throat> that's a big linguistic difference. Of course, English to Spanish, like Aaliyah had is, is, is big, but I think your linguistic difference on your mission was even greater. What was your experience with teaching in a foreign language, teaching the gospel in a foreign language and what it was like to, um, uh, teach to people in their own native tongue that way? Um, well, so it's interesting on my mission, I, was in the Seoul, uh, South Korea, the West mission at the time. It's kind of come and gone. I think it's back again now, but I had the opportunity because of, um, American air force base that was in one of my areas to not only teach the gospel in Korean on my mission, but also have the opportunity to teach it in English. Oh. And the thing that stood out to me the very most was despite trying very hard to do it well. I never spoke Korean very well. You would think you did, but like, I, th I don't think we ever finished a discussion in under an hour, like a first discussion under an hour. And then when I taught one in English, it was like a 20 minute thing. <laughs> so for me, the doing the Korean part of it would kind of be like these, you know, Japanese saints going to the temple and only hearing it in English. It, like, do the best you can. And even then, like as a missionary where I used religious Korean every single day, I don't think there was ever a time where I understood everything that was said in a sacrament meeting. And if I went to Sunday school and they were talking about the old Testament, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> no clue. So I know that feeling of being like, well, it's the gospel and I know it and it's familiar to me, but I don't understand the thing these people are saying and how nice it was then to go to an area that had church in English <laughs> and to just like, <laughs> Ah, oh, this feels good. So yeah, I experienced both sides of that. You just soaked in the spirit. Yeah. When yeah. You, can understand yeah you, have to try, you don't have to try to understand your native language. You, you, <laughs> think, you, you can ponder on the doctrine as opposed to being like, now what word was that? So. <laughs> right. Exactly. Awesome. Um, well, what other parts of this talk did you want to highlight Burke? 
So, let's see. It says here, she and her family were converted to the Savior and baptized. Her family worked hard and began to prosper, adding three more children. They were faithful and active in the church. Then, unexpectedly, her husband suffered a stroke and died, compelling her to work long hours at multiple jobs for many years to provide for her five children. That's one of those sentences right there. You heard it and you're like, gosh, that sounds hard. But to her, they were actual years. Yeah. And then some people in her family and neighborhood criticized her. They blamed her troubles on her decision to join a Christian church. And this, this is what we do, right? Someone else has a hard life and we find a reason to make it their fault. Mm-hmm. And uh, wow, I just, I was blown away by the story of this woman in so many aspects. I mean, and this even, this wasn't even the part where she was, you know, living in a cave and <laughs> subsist, you know, subsistence existence off whatever she could scavenge from a nearby st- stream, you know, like. Yeah. I I have nothing. I feel like I've had a lot of really hard things in my life until I read a story like this. And I was like, nope, they felt yeah. hard, but I don't have anything like this. Yeah. And while she was in that cave, there was a war raging around her and her husband was unconscious. And that's when, yeah. you know, she had a grenade that the army gave her specifically to take her life and her family's life. Yeah. And, and that's when she considered it. I mean, I can't even fathom any of these things just beyond my comprehension. Yeah. Um, but Burke, you stopped the paragraph right at the, <laughs> the like the biggest downer. You got to keep going and read the next sentence. I figured someone else really cheerful would probably read it. Okay, I'm going to read it then. <laughs> Undeterred by profound tragedy and harsh criticism, she held on to her faith in Jesus Christ, determined to press forward. They might as well use the word hope there, but they didn't. Trusting that God knew her and that brighter days were ahead. Yeah. Um, so on, yeah, but, but again, how often do we feel like I'm being so righteous? Why do hard things keep happening to me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You may not yeah. be like Joe, but also you're probably not like this woman. Indeed. <laughs> I think it's a really common tactic that Satan uses is that when we start turning towards God or making significant changes spiritually in our lives, then bad things happen because it's life. And Satan makes us think it's because of that. Like, I can't tell you how many times I put someone on date for baptism on my mission and then immediately, like, they lost a job or their family member died or something crazy happened. And in the story, her, like, neighbors or whoever were trying to convince her that it was because she had been converted to Christianity that these bad things were happening. But that's obviously not the case. And if we hold on to God even tighter, that's when we can make it through those things instead of falling to them. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, well, let's go on to Rivka. Rivka, what else did you want to highlight from this? Um, so kind of in keeping with this idea that this woman was undeterred by her profound tragedy and harsh criticism um, and her having these profound spiritual experiences and being drawn to God and and making covenants and and pressing forward and having hope through these extreme circumstances. Um, also, and this doesn't seem as extreme, but bear with me. Um, right after it talks about um, the challenge of not hearing the temple presentation in Japanese, it says church leaders. Uh, he said church leaders called the Japanese brother to travel to the Hawaiian temple to translate the endowment ceremony. He was the first Japanese convert after the war, having been taught and baptized by faithful American soldiers. 
Um, so one, I'm trying to picture that happening in the middle of, I don't know, the three months that they were occupying Okinawa or in the rebuilding thing afterwards. And like try to actually picture this happening in real life because it did. And then if you look under um, at the footnote right there, um, the translator, his name was Tatsui Sato. He was baptized by U.S. Serv serviceman C. Elliot Richards. His wife was baptized on the same day by Boyd K. Packer, who was not the apostle at that point. <laughs> he was a young man. Separately, right. Neil A. Maxwell fought in the Battle of Okinawa, and L. Tom Perry was among the first wave of Marines to go ashore in Japan following the peace treaty. Um, and so I was picturing these young men um, over there as servicemen and just in the middle of this horror running into these Japanese people and teaching them the gospel somehow as American soldiers and then being baptized and that, that progressing to this. So as I was contemplating these stories about that time and about these Japanese people's introduction to the gospel and um, I was thinking like, I don't, I don't really always ascribe to the idea that everything happens for a reason, but I do know that regardless of what is happening or what we're experiencing, what we're going through or wrestling with, that when God says it will be for our good, what he means is that he can take what we're experiencing. And if we turn to him, he can give it purpose and life and he can give us growth and strength in the middle of whatever it is and so that was another one of the things I was thinking about this week is how all of these stories really illustrate um, how God can work with us in our extremities and in situations that seem impossible to overcome or or devastating to experience um, and and I'm so impressed by these the the faith and the trust that these Japanese people had in seeking out God, this woman seeking out God in the middle of these horrible circumstances, and this Japanese brother listening to what these American soldiers were teaching them, even when they're the enemy. Later, um, she this the woman. Um, after her, well, let's see, it says a few years following her husband's untimely death, the mission president of Japan felt inspired to encourage the Japanese members to work toward attending the temple. The mission president was an American veteran of the Battle of Okinawa um, um, and knew, knew this Okinawan sister who had suffered so much. And she said of him, the mission president, he was then one of our hated enemies, but now he was here with the gospel of love and peace. This to me was a miracle. Anyway, I'm just so inspired by the level of humility that they had in, in trusting God and turning to him and seeking um, to become closer to him through covenant in the midst of just circumstances that are more horrific than I can really understand. I've never experienced anything even remotely like what they have. 
So it's really inspiring to me. Yeah. And that deepens the idea that the temple brought them together. And I don't think you mentioned this when you first talked about them being brought together, but you know, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, which is in Hawaii, which is where they went to the temple, which is why they were worried about people, you know, accepting them there. Um, Mm -hmm. So, wow, they overcame this incredible situation where they, you know, their countries were literally killing each other and they forged these bonds of brotherhood and sisterhood through those covenants. So yeah, very, very inspiring tale. Um, okay. Well, let's go on to our invitations and promises. Aaliyah, what invitations and promise blessings did you find in this talk? The main one that I found comes from the prophet himself. He says, right. each person who makes covenants in baptismal fonts and in temples and keeps them has increased access to the power of Jesus Christ. Awesome. I love it. And if we had more time, I'd ask you how that's working out for you. But Burke gave us a great answer to that earlier. So um, we will go on to Burke and see if he has any other invitations and promises that he found. Well, I liked that invitation and promise. And I think there's a little more promise right after it. The reward for keeping covenants with God is heavenly power, power that strengthens us to withstand our trials, temptations, and heartaches better. This power eases our way. And I am so grateful for the easing. Yes, very much so. And Rivka, we'll close with you. What else, uh, what other invitation and promise did you find? Rivka has been bitten by the mute bug one last time. Oh, I've been so good about that lately. You and have. I blew it. <laughs> All right. Um, he said, the resurrected Lord declared to a conflict ridden society in the Book of Mormon that unto those who honor my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And I, uh, as someone who is also part of a conflict-ridden society nowadays, that's really, um, I love that invitation to honor his name. And then the blessing that comes is that the the son of righteousness, that Jesus will be there with us with healing in his wings. I love it. Healing on the Isles of the Sea through Temple Covenants. Beautiful. Well, speaking of healing, the next talk we're going to discuss is called Love is Spoken Here by Elder Garrett W. Gong of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Um, In the meantime, if you want to get a hold of us, Aliyah is going to tell you how. You can email us at wordsoftheprovetspodcast at gmail.com, or you can message us or comment on our Facebook and Instagram at wordsoftheprovetspodcast. Awesome. So thanks for joining us today, and until next time, keep the faith. If we teach by the Spirit, and you listen by the Spirit, some one of us will touch on your circumstance, sending a personal prophetic epistle just to you.